0: want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out united Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mckrispie sandwich but you're the filet-o-fish sandwich all day Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn-Wardner, and in this episode, I thought we might have a conversation about mental health, and it is a conversation because you're asking the questions. Um, If you're listening to this the day that it comes out, the day it's published, which is Sunday the 19th of May, it's the end of Mental Health Awareness Week, this week in the UK, and I've been sitting on my hands a bit, unsure about what to do to properly add value to the conversation that's happening right now in terms of all things mental health. First of all, it's brilliant that the conversation around mental health is more open than it has ever been before. I posted something on Instagram a few months ago. It was a picture of um, a tabard sign outside a shop or something saying, mental wellness is not Fight Club, we can talk about it. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know I've been honest with you about my anxiety, my depression, and the things I have done to overcome them. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a dark place or things feel hopeless, I want to encourage you to think of that feeling and place as a temporary one. I had this conversation with a very good friend, actually, uh, this week or last week, and just sort of said, I don't really identify as somebody with mental health issues anymore. And they said, oh, actually, though, Emma, isn't it like being an alcoholic? You're always going to have mental health issues. It's just a case of how you're handling it at that particular moment. And I sort of felt a bit annoyed in the moment and went away and thought about it. And I fundamentally disagree with that because actually a bad day or a slip up when it comes to mental health can be the yardstick by which you actually measure your progress and ability to bounce back. A bad day might be huge progress if the same set of events a year before would have involved a bad week. So hmm, I don't believe in it being uh, a condition that you always have. I do think you always have to keep an eye on it though. I think it's something you always have to work on. Sometimes you can say to yourself, actually, I'm not going to fight it today. I'm just going to accept that today is rubbish and I'm going to come out fighting tomorrow. And the important thing is to acknowledge that you're not going to linger in that feeling and to come out fighting tomorrow. I've had to do that even recently. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that I moved house and there was one day, the day after I moved in, I think all the stress of it just really hit me and I could not get out of bed. Well, actually at about four o'clock, I sort of (laughs) crawled out of bed put my specs on didn't even put makeup on and got my nails done and that felt exhausting that felt I was more tired after that than when I ran a half marathon a few years ago so sometimes you just have to say you know what ems it's all right it's okay you can have today just come out fighting tomorrow right anyway and I know that sounds easier said than done it takes work and it takes time but I believe you can get there because I got there The format of this show, as I said at the top of the hour, or however long it's going to be, is that I'm going to answer your questions. So it's a conversation. I posted on all my social media platforms asking for people to ask questions about mental health, whether that's generally or specifically my experiences. So that's what you're going to hear. I haven't rehearsed them. As and when there will be a need for further reading, I will put those links in the show notes. But I want this to feel like a conversation. I know want you to feel like I'm reading a feature at you, meaning as a journalist, obviously if I'm writing a feature, I'd give it an editorial spin. I just want this to be a human conversation. Before I get into questions, I'd like to say two things. You may not feel that you have an issue with your mental health. You may not have experienced anxiety and or depression, and you may feel that, therefore, this episode isn't for you, and that's fine. But all I ask is that you consider sharing it if somebody you know says they are struggling maybe, you know, gently steer it, steer them towards it. But we'll talk about that actually, because I have read through the questions and there is a question about this. And the other thing is if you are struggling, please know that there are incredible resources such as the Samaritans. And I will put the links to those in the show notes. You're not alone. There is, you can pick up the phone. Someone will hear you. So hang in there. And there are some really practical things that you can do that are easier than you think. Right. So let's get into the questions. Number one, how did your anxiety start? This was a question I got from a lot of people. So a lot of people asked this one. And uh, the truth of the matter is, I think I operated on low level anxiety my entire life. Even as a kid, I can remember exam stress. I can remember like I went to go and sit my um, uh, an, an entrance exam to go to a school and the headmaster came down the stairs and he was utterly terrifying and I just hid behind my mother and I couldn't do the exam I was just a complete scaredy cat I was really frightened and so I guess sort of once I got diagnosed as an adult in my late 30s you sort of look back at those sorts of things and you think oh right okay yes signs were all there so this isn't the, the, my anxiety and mental health that <laughs> exploded in my late 30s w- had been building for a long time and it was just a massive crescendo. Um, I would say the anxiety started if I had to put a description on it or if I had to say why I don't think I developed coping mechanisms. I think I actually developed quite a victim mentality and that's a very, uh, that's a really horrible, there's a lack of optimism in that headspace this has happened to me and it's nothing to do with me the idea that you can't affect change you can't um, make an impact on your own future on your own circumstances actually when you think about it that's that's it's really suffocating that's not a very good place so i i would i would say that that's where my anxiety started um in that it was always present and i don't know why but i think naturally i am a naturally was a naturally anxious person so um, I don't think if the question was asked in the context of I would really like to know if something happens and therefore that's going to tip me into anxiety I'm afraid I can't give an answer as uh, definitive as, as that it's not a moment that I can describe I don't know if anyone else's experience Experiences happen in a moment. I wouldn't even say that experience as a six year old of being frightened of that headmaster. I wouldn't even say that that was a moment. I'm sure that there was anxiety before that. So I think it is either very gradual or it's just there from day one. So I, unfortunately, I don't think there's a definitive, this happens, therefore you have anxiety. But everyone's experience is different. And that's probably the third thing I should have said before I start answering questions. Are you still in therapy? what therapy did you have and what would you recommend? No, I'm no longer in therapy. I um, saw a therapist for about 15 months and it was sort of talking therapy. And I think it was an amalgamation of things, but honestly, I never really asked too many questions because um, I, I felt the benefit of the sessions quite quickly within a few weeks. And I just sort of thought, right, I'm just going to go with this. Although I think in the second, the second session, I think I said, I don't want to navel gaze. I don't want to whinge. I want to make progress. And if I just get you to believe everything I say, then that's not progress or something like that anyway. Um, but it was, it was very much about moving forward. And I, I've always said to people, I was very, very lucky. I was the first therapist I thought was amazing. She was utterly brilliant. Probably the most I cried in that session was the day that she told me she was leaving. Um, And I I felt very much that we were constantly moving forward. And I felt very much with every hour, especially once you get over the first bit where you have to revisit some painful stuff. And sometimes you get to the end of the hour and you just need to be very, very quiet and be a bit solemn. And other times you come out and you think, right, I'm going to go to Ikea and I'm going to build all the furniture and I'm going to lift up a car it depends it depends really what happens during that um that during that session, but I definitely felt that we every we, we constantly made progress we constantly moved further away from the bad place that 's not a reference to the show the good place we we moved away from the darkness, we moved towards the light with every uh with every session um, and the reason i 'm not in therapy now is because I actually went back to the same place after my therapist left. And had four sessions with another therapist, who was very much about, well, this stuff is still affecting you, so I think we need to unpick it again. And I said, no, that stuff is, is stuff I've acknowledged and I've accepted, and in accepting it, I've made peace with it and I've moved on. There's no point unpicking it because that's undoing the accepting. So I didn't stay long with her, and then I uh, had another therapist for about three weeks, and again, I just felt like it wasn't a good match and. I thought okay take a break and see what happens and I would totally go back into therapy it would just be the right thing and I think I'd want to do something like cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive hypnotherapy but we'll talk about those later I will put the links in the show notes but they are you know short-term progress-led massive change makers and I think they're more what I need now than just regular talking sessions which is what I had previously. Uh, What has been the most comforting thing that others have done to help you? This is a great question, and I'm guessing this is a question coming from somebody who knows someone who is going through mental health problems and wants to know what the best thing they can do for them is, which makes you a pretty awesome person that you've actually taken the time to contact me. It's obviously on your mind. Um, Just kindness and gentleness. When I was before I knew I had anxiety and probably, probably low level anxiety and low level depression. So before the crescendo, cause let's, let's give it a dramatic name. Why not? Um, before I knew, I think I just whinged. No, well, I don't think I just whinged. I just whinged. I was a victim and people, and I can probably tell you if we sat down long enough, although I'm not going to publish it as a podcast, I could probably out- tell you, with such clarity, I could tell you what music was on in the background, what time of day it was, what month it was, all the times that friends have snapped at me and told me to stop whinging because every single time it it slapped me across the face. Um. Yeah, it was it, it was horrible, uh, and yes, I was whinging because at that point I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't. I. I. My headspace, where my head was at, I didn't have the tools to to just manage things and actually I'm gonna say this this wasn't one of the most comforting things that somebody did but my friend Katie actually we were away on holiday together the holiday that kind of broke the broke the camel's back um and she just sort of said not in a not in a cruel way but just I've never met anyone like you who just doesn't have any coping mechanisms (laughs) and it sounds pretty harsh but I think I'd like I was on everyone's last nerve um and uh, she just said you don't seem to have an emotional toolkit to just to be handled to handle the most basic things so small things are massive to you but most people are just you know water off a a duck's back and I kind of thought I walked the walk of someone who was quite emotionally robust but clearly I didn't but actually what she did in saying that to me she gave me the vocabulary to then be able to articulate to my therapist in that first session what I felt the issue was. So I went into that first session and I said, I, these things have happened to me, they've really wounded me, but bigger picture, I don't feel like I have an emotional toolkit to handle life, you know, the normal day-to-day life. Everything's too, too big and so that was really useful so it wasn't comforting in the moment but it was very useful in the long term but yes i just think being gentle but definitely not to the point where you're then enabling i think it's a very 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 fine line and i think you have to know when to literally when to do a tony stark and say unlock 17a and go right we need to we need to go in with the tough love now because i'm sorry that was such an obscure marvel reference Get ready for more. Um, I I do think that um, yeah, you 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 can be kind and you can be gentle, but that can keep somebody in that space. So it's about being kind and gentle and moving somebody forward, and maybe even very gently saying, We've been having this conversation for about six months. Maybe it's time to just sort of move the story forward. That's I mean, that's basic journalism days of like, how do we move this story forward? sort of a a vocabulary I picked up at work which I think is quite which I found very helpful actually in dealing with things like right I'm angry about this thing or I'm upset about this thing you can do that for 10 days in a row but on day 11 you're like well how do I move the story forward like I can't be angry forever like okay so day 11 I'm going to accept it so I just think sorry if that sounds a bit random but just um very gently guide somebody towards good resources because actually you can't you can't fix somebody you can just be kind and but not enable and unfortunately everybody is different you know your boundaries with your friend I'm assuming it's a friend or family member you know your boundaries better than than others so it's a case of the kindness and the gentleness but also at some point tough love or actually doing the work for them a little bit and if they don't take take you up on it sort of also knowing when to when to back off a bit it's a very very a it's a tightrope it's a fine line of knowing what the right thing is to do but um just see if they see if you can get them to open up in a way that isn't whinging ask the questions that move things forward um at what point does that niggling feeling get labeled as anxiety do we have to get diagnosed that's a really good question a little bit like the first one about how did the anxiety start i don't think there's a moment I was diagnosed with anxiety when I did a I was um calling up to try and make a claim on my health insurance. And I, and I my GP had said I should get counselling and I was trying to get it through my health insurance and I had to take a mental health test which took like 90 minutes on the phone. And they came back and said, Yeah, you've got um mild OCD and anxiety and um severe depression. I was like, excuse me, what now? <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, get some have a chat with someone and that was the way and again it's sort of piecing those those uh parts of the story back together going back to the beginning and understanding that anxiety had been present my entire life gosh when I think about all the things that I didn't do because I was anxious like i just like as a four-year-old getting to the top of the slide and then freaking out with a massive queue behind me and everyone having to get off the steps so I could get down because I couldn't go down the slide stuff stuff like that um you don't have to get diagnosed, but I think it can be useful to, because if you understand what your depression is, sorry, your anxiety is like, if there's OCD involved, obviously not all anxiety um, is the same. So if you kind of understand what your anxiety is, what triggers it, you can then make progress. You can then move away from it. You can manage it. So I do do hear the term anxiety being used a lot. And I wonder if we're all talking about the same thing or if we're just talking about, I mean, I'm talking about somebody from Vanderpump Rules saying they didn't go to something because their anxiety was playing up. And I think, no, you didn't really want to go. And now you're sort of like, it's a bit like, uh, it's just the perfect excuse, isn't it? It's like, oh, I can't go swimming today, Mrs. What's it? At my, you know, school teacher, I've got my monthlies and not and being allowed to not do PE or whatever. Um, but yes, I think it's useful to go and get a proper a proper, do a proper questionnaire about anxiety if you say uh, at what point is that niggling feeling niggling feeling is that I, I think that needs a bit more exploration is it being in social situations and getting hot and bothered is it feeling uncomfortable and i think if that's something that recurs in certain situations or around certain people or whatever then that's when it might be useful to uh, go to a healthcare provider or one of these resources that we'll do your GP, your doctor, and do a questionnaire and find out if you are um, displaying signs of anxiety. Um, Again, you don't have to get diagnosed, but I think it's probably better to know what yours is particularly like. Next question is, do we ever fully get over anxiety? Is there an age when it will fully just go away? I don't know about the relation with age. I'd imagine, as you go, I mean, you always say, don't you, if you get older, you just tolerate less nonsense do we ever fully get over anxiety um hmm. i would say no but i would also say you learn what the triggers are and you stay away from them so in that sense yes but i think you're if you have had anxiety you are probably you could probably have a low level or high level response at any time depending on the situation you're in um and I know, for example, that there are some situations I just don't like being in. And for years and years, I've been in them because I thought, oh, it's the right thing to do. Or I'll go to that because so-and-so will be upset if I don't go. Or, But I, I know I don't want to be there because of this, that and the other. And then I go and then I'm a, a basket case and I can't look people in the eye and I'm trying to have a conversation. I can't remember what they've said. I can't remember what's coming out of my mouth. So now I just don't go to them. And actually, you know what? <laughs> no one cares. It's fine. Everyone's all right with it, including me. Um, I don't know about the age thing, but that is an interesting question. So if we get another um, anxiety mental health expert on I'll actually ask that question because I do think um, a relationship with age is uh, an interesting one. In your case, is anxiety linked to a specific person? That's a really interesting question. Um, If the person asking this question is asking it because they feel anxious around a specific person, then I would say that is valid anxiety and it's worth unpicking why that person makes you feel that way. Um, I, If you had asked me that three years ago, is your anxiety linked to a specific person, I would have said yes. But now through therapy and now through... Um, through time distance and everything i real i realized that i used to be very attracted to toxic dynamics i didn't realize they were toxic obviously um because of low self-esteem i used to find people that i really really looked up to and then try and be useful to them and then if i was useful to them then i'd feel validated that's you're on a hiding to nothing with that one But the thing I understand is that I was completely complicit in all of that. And so it's no one else's fault but mine. The only thing I can do is the famous expression is keep my side of the street clean. So uh, if my anxiety is linked to a specific person, it me, it's me. I'm the person. So all I can do is change, modify my behavior, my responses, not anyone else's. I hope that's helpful. How did you manage to continue with everyday tasks when you were at your worst? I didn't really, truthfully. I was very lucky in, in the sense that I did the bare minimum to get by. I mean, I tried really hard, but I always say my uh, the best version, the amount of effort I had to put into being the crappiest version of myself when I was anxious and depressed is like a hundred times more than... <laughs> the version like the effort i have to put in to just be normal now that i feel on the other side of it like the you have no idea if someone is going through this and they, it's a battle to get out of the front door and they've catastrophized the whole way to come and meet you for a coffee or come to your house or go to work or whatever you have no idea they, it's like the engine it's like they're in first gear but the engine is doing seven thousand revolutions of second or whatever it is and it's just but going nowhere but once you sort of get back into the swing of things you're like you're cruising at like 1500 rpm 2000 rpm it's just smooth it's silky it's just it's a it's a beautiful machine but yeah the amount of effort that you have to put in to be a really crap version of yourself when you're anxious and depressed is is quite something (laughs) so I didn't but I was lucky in the sense that um I, I didn't i didn't screw up i was freelance so i kind of was able to do things from home which helped because going out was really challenging at one point point. and when i say at one point i would say there was a period of about six months when it was really challenging um so that was so but everyday tasks things like cleaning uh getting up showering it all felt like so heavy it felt like trying to do it with you know if you watch um what's that program uh slimmer usa what is it called america's greatest slimmer it's not that the one with jillian michaels you know at some point during the challenge they put get someone to put a rucksack on with the weight that they've lost when they've been on the camp um and biggest loser that's it and it, it felt like that all day every day just doing anything it was like oh god putting 50 pounds of weight on your back and having a shower and uh, somebody sent me a press release the other day for a shampoo. And they said, Oh, you know, it's about connecting with your hair and having an experience in the shower. And it's was like, Jesus, I mean, sorry for the blasphemy, but come on. Uh, not that <laughs> that's slightly separate, but I just mean, I'm just thinking about being in the shower. And you just think, how can I do this with the least amount of energy because I'm already tired? Anyway, um, you don't. But I think the problem is sometimes for people, it looks like you're, it looks like you are managing. And I definitely, when I eventually told people I was struggling, it was a surprise to a lot of people. And I was like, what are you high? How is this a surprise to you? Um, but there, there can be that thing of, again, it's that, you know, no one knows what someone else is going through. Uh, it, it, you, it, it's a lot of effort to do the bare minimum. And because to the outside world, cause everyone is, thinking about themselves not in a horrible way but we all i'm thinking about myself you're thinking about yourself um they might not necessarily read between the lines and think oh hold up that's an issue so how did i manage barely and it's just you you literally start you do the bare minimum and i guess the bare minimum to fake it to be honest how did your family react and support you what do you wish they had done that they didn't um family were great I think the thing with family that's easy to do is to expect them to fix it. I expect them to see it and to fix it and to solve it. Well, that's certainly, I think, the unrealistic expectation I had on my family. It's like, can you fix it now, please? Because I'm tired and I'm lost and I'm crying all the time. Can you just fix it? Um, And I think it's hard for families. I can't imagine what it must be like if you are a parent and your child comes to you and tells you, that they are having issues because you don't want them to so I think there's an element of denial there and sort of thinking oh they'll be fine in the morning um but my family were great I think at the time when I uh really I, I remember phoning them up and hysterically FaceTiming and like I need help I need help and they said right come down here come home sack everything well not sack everything off that's not how they'd speak but just come down here and let's let's talk about this Um, and so the fact that there was a safe place to go was very comforting. Uh, what do you wish they had done that they didn't? Well, I wish they'd fixed it all, but they couldn't, only me. (laughs) So, uh, unrealistic expectations. They couldn't have fixed it all. It had, it was impossible. Their version of fixing it would not have been the one that worked. The version, the only version that fixed it was mine. When did you feel or know you were getting better or recovering? That's a brilliant question. Um... It's sort of a that's a really excellent question. I guess I started noticing I was speaking differently in therapy. I was less tolerant of the of negative speak. Um and being in therapy, I, I remember I went and worked at a company. And I don't have a great history of working in offices. I'm not I'm not very good. I'm very much somebody who should be working for myself. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a human resource nightmare. And I remember going to my therapist and just sort of laughing and saying, I've been brought in. There's a group of girls and they are not they are making it very obvious that they're not impressed, they really couldn't give a crap that I'm there. And it feels like they want me to know. And I remember my therapist saying, They probably do. How do you feel about that? And I was like, I couldn't care less. Whereas before, in previous jobs, I would have been very upset that I hadn't been accepted, I would have been very upset that. I wasn't getting on with people, and I would have. I would have felt like a victim. I would have felt like I was being singled out, and I just found it quite funny to be honest. Because I realised them accepting me wasn't wasn't my problem. I could only, I could only be me. Um, I wasn't going in there and being like, "Oi, you lot, you suck." Um, I was just going in and doing my job. So I, I laughed it off, and I think that I remember thinking, ooh, that's progress." <laughs> so um, it's little things like that. I think it's important to be self-aware and kind of go, oh, that happened a couple of years ago and that really upset me or that really affected me in whatever way, shape or form. And acknowledging and thinking, actually, that didn't affect me this time around. Ah, that's progress. I think it's really important without, without starting, like, a notebook or a chart or anything, just very gently just going, oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, I've talked on this podcast about trying to build up my physical stamina again. And get back into running, and I told you how I was using this app, and it's eight weeks to five k, and I've been and I've been using it for eighteen months. It's the mental barriers, and then some da- and then one day you just get. Well, this is what happened to me. I was still like <laughs> just using the week five thing, like eighteen months after starting using it, because my brain because there was a part of me that was scared I'd fail if I tried anything too difficult, and then I just tried week seven and I nailed it, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's progress. So it's little things like that. You, I think you start paying attention to yourself start asking how you feel how do i feel about this and i think when you start doing that you begin to just note it's a bit like if you listen to headspace the noting technique just note how things feel park them absorb them but just just make make a little note um but if the question when did you feel or know you were getting better is about a time scale then i would say for me personally I think it was about six months into therapy when I thought, okay, something's definitely shifted. I've Something's definitely shifted. But again, timescales, um, your mileage may vary, to quote Tim Ferriss. So don't go by my timescale, go by your own. However long it takes you is correct. Did you have anxiety when it came to dating? If so, what happened? Yes, um, I just didn't date. <laughs> and that's the end of that story. Um <laughs> uh, truth, I can't, just always, yeah, too much anxiety, no self-worth, so why would you put yourself in a situation? Because, actually, this is a whole other episode, I'll probably get Lee Pycroft back on, but yes, that really is the end of that story, the no dating happened here. How you articulated what you were going through, did you receive judgment? Hmm, I don't think I received judgment, I think I received more confusion, going back to that point earlier about uh, I remember when Farah Store came on the podcast and we talked about her book, The Discomfort Zone, we were talking about the fact she's been given all these responsibilities in magazines of turning a failing magazine around and she's always done it and I've worked in the same building with her, I've worked in the same magazine as her and she has this, uh, the way that she conducts herself, you would think that she has everything perfectly in place you would imagine that she has never had a ladder in her tights, her computer has never crashed, and she's just constantly gliding, and it's amazing. And I think on that podcast we talked about the fact that that's not always the case, but we uh, bonded, had a bonding moment over the fact that we both look on the exterior like everything's fine and dandy, but actually it might not be inside. So I think instead of judgment, I had confusion. I think people going, Really? But you do this, and you do that, and you do the other and i said and it was so it was sometimes it was the confusion and the kind of saying it again to get it through. I would like to think I am quite an articulate person, and that I speak in a way that hopefully the people the person people listening understand the point I'm trying to make. Hello, my most excellent listeners. I hope that's your experience. Uh, But I definitely found, and I think it was that confusion thing that I had to say it a few times. And in the end, the most effective way of saying it, unfortunately, was kind of when it got to the point where the only thing I could do was scream cry. But hey, scream crying is part of my journey and I own it. Have you tried antidepressants? I haven't. I was prescribed them at university when I got dumped by a boyfriend, which he was completely right to do because I was a pain in the ass, um, but I I uh, got the prescription, but I never took anything. Um, and then when I started going to my GP a couple of a couple of years ago and said something isn't right, something isn't right, um, I he he offered me antidepressants. We started off with St John's Wort that I bought off Amazon or wherever or the high street and didn't really get on with that and I think I went to see him about five or six times and I said you know I'm putting on a lot of weight my stomach is really bloated all the time I'm this I'm that I've noticed that I'm getting a lot more facial hair it must be a hormone thing and he said if you come in if you come into this practice one more time one more time I'm gonna put you on antidepressants And so I never saw him again. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be on antidepressants. I think they're absolutely excellent. And I think that they are a brilliant, brilliant resource. And I know quite a few people who are on them and swear by them and think they are absolutely fantastic. But the reason why I didn't want to do antidepressants was because I felt very much that my anxiety and depression were because of life choices, poor life choices, and that... To undo, to undo poor life choices by taking a tablet felt like the wrong answer. For me, it felt like in order to uh, um, level the balance, I had to make good life choices. And in order to make good life choices, I needed to start counselling, therapy and the like. So that was why I didn't take them. But I have no problem with them. I know people who have taken them and have said that within three days they feel that the fog has lifted, the dark cloud has lifted. And that's a very, very appealing, appealing thing. I also think uh, I've got no problem with taking any kind of medication, but I, um, maybe there was a self-esteem thing there. I don't know. Maybe I didn't feel worthy of them. I don't know. But I was just very much like, I don't want to take them because that's not how I got here. I, I was on a downward spiral and i just want to plot my i want to follow the breadcrumbs back and there were breadcrumbs trust me I ate a lot of white food when i was depressed um i want to follow the breadcrumbs up the spiral and get back to normal but the brilliant thing about that is when you work well whatever it is you don't go back to the place you were at before because you've made progress so you end up in a completely new better brighter more optimistic place well that's been my experience how did you know you had a problem did you feel like you failed by admitting it um yeah I did feel like I'd failed but not not by admitting it, actually just by knowing it sort of on a biological chemical level I did feel like I'd failed I felt like everyone else was doing life and I I was massively had imposter syndrome I was like I why well, everyone else is doing it but it's just so freaking hard for me why this doesn't seem right um So yeah, I felt like a failure, opted out of a lot of things, mostly social. How did you know you had a problem? I knew, well, actually, I knew I had a problem because uh, a succession of events um, meant that I felt very wounded by a couple of relationships, friendships. And the they hit me like an absolute truck and I couldn't recover and so they were they that was I'm very grateful for what happened with those friendships because actually it was the catalyst for me realizing hang on I can't cope and I guess if you've been coping at a very low level for a long time you can keep doing that for the rest of your life but by hitting such a low that was such a catalyst. To such a spectacular like face plant in life, that um, it it you know it meant that I had to go. Oh, okay, right. There's a bigger problem here, but it meant that I then overcame the low level stuff because you dealt you when you deal with it in therapy, you deal with it on a larger scale. You you do um, you do hone in on certain things, but you deal with the bigger picture. Um, how did you know you have a problem? Uh, if the person who asked that is asking because they think that they have one, then again, I would reference maybe those questionnaires. Be be careful about doing the ones online. Or if you do the ones online, do the ones that come through uh, authorised health providers with the proper questions. Um, and did you feel like you'd failed by admitting it? If you, if you feel like you're a failure, if, if you're if you worried that you will have failed by admitting it or you're worried about people's reaction to you or thinking that you failed by Admitting it, then I wouldn't I wouldn't fall into that trap. Don't fall for that. That's nonsense. And if don't like honestly, think about it. If you said to somebody, I'm depressed, and I've been diagnosed with depression and I've been struggling for a little while and I'm now working on it, and someone's reaction is, Oh my God, so you've like failed at life. You know, you know that they're the arsehole, not you. Um Did you feel like everyone and everything was against you? Yes. And felt unloved and alone? Yes. So if the person who is writing that question is feeling like everyone and everything is against them right now, then you're wrong because I am with you. And if you feel unloved and alone, then you are not because I love you and you can always plug into this podcast and you can always slide into my DMs or send me an email to thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. You are never alone. But I know that feeling you do feel like You're worried to even speak to people in case they bollock you for being depressed or being a whinger or being sad or not being optimistic. It's a horrible, horrible place. And actually, it's not real. You have to think about what you're putting out into the world. If if you are in a state of depression, if you are anxious, you might be putting out thoughts, feelings, emotions and actions that could be triggering to other people because they're low, they're um, not bad, but they might feel a bit scared of them so they might be pushing you away for that because misery loves company but actually some people see see misery in inverted commas and steer clear of it and so it might not be it won't be about you it might be about like changing I would definitely say that's one of the things I noticed as I was always you know a winger and then and now I try and be brighter but you're not unloved you're not alone and people aren't against you, don't think like that, think that think that people are with you and they will be and think that you're with them too, um, I hope you don't feel like that, it's a horrible place to be, please do think of it as temporary and, um, listen to every Oprah podcast that you can about optimism because that will help, it, genuinely, I know it sounds like a flippant response but that will. When was the moment you realised you were depressed? Again, not, not a moment, it was the, um, diagnosis on that uh, questionnaire but um it wasn't a light bulb moment oh I'm depressed it was a oh I've been told I am therefore I am so it's sort of once removed um but yeah as above how do you explain your mental state to friends so they don't handle you like a tray of eggs um do you know what I didn't I actually just took a leave of absence from most of my social life and then just came back and if anyone asked, I said, "Oh, I, actually, I was diagnosed with depression. And I was just kind of taking some time out to recover." And no one treated me like uh, no one treated me like they were treading on eggshells, egg walking on eggshells. They just went, "Oh, all right." And some people probed, some people didn't. But I didn't get I didn't get wrapped in cotton wool. I would say that for sure. Um, how do you explain your mental health to friends? I think, I think it's that thing of, uh, just so you know, if it's relevant for them to know, by the way, just so you know, um, I've actually been diagnosed with anxiety and or depression um, and I'm taking steps uh, towards uh, working on it, making progress with it. So just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, you shouldn't be treated any differently and hopefully you don't want special treatment um, because, that again, that could fall into that enabling territory that I... Um, mentioned earlier uh what helped you the most uh compounded it was therapy meditation editing my life editing the people I was hanging out with editing the things I was giving my attention to running towards the gladioli uh finding things that I really liked at one point it was I had no money at this moment in time so it was um I used to on Monday mornings buy the one pound fifty Gladioli, and that made me really happy, and that would keep me going for five days because they usually last for five days. So I run towards the things that give you joy and nourish you, and don't worry about what other people what gives other people joy and nourishes them. If it takes away, if it takes your time that you could be spending on yourself, because that was something I was quite guilty of. Is so and so okay? Is such and such all right? Will they need my time? Oh no, they've just phoned. They're in. They're having a problem. Let me park all of my stuff and deal with them sort of it's not selfish to actually uh, down tools for other people and work on yourself Um. hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you How was your mental health affected by hormonal changes and difficulties? Good question. There isn't a, an actual measure, but I definitely think there was a link. Um, I always attributed my being depressed and being sort of a bit, mo- well, my moody teenagers as something to do with hormones. But again, I'm picking things through therapy. I realized maybe there were there were bigger issues at play with the anxiety and depression, um, it will have definitely had an impact. There is a known link, but it's not, as far as I'm aware, it wouldn't be like, oh, by the way, your testosterone level on this month was blah, 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 which obviously no one measures their hormones that regularly. Um, So that would explain why you were X, Y, and Z on this day. There is definitely a link. Um, That's why I now am in the care of a hormone specialist who I see, um, well, um, I saw and was... Uh, well I'm under her care basically this is Sahar who has been on this podcast before Um, how did you gain more self-confidence? again it was the downing downing tools when I say downing tools I don't mean I went into a cave for six months I just took a step back from doing I just didn't make plans I only went to things I only, only did the things that I absolutely had to do and then the rest of the time I just focused on myself like meditating at home or doing lots of yoga or going for long walks or trying to get my fitness up and um, the therapy, genuinely, it's like I said about that experience about in the workplace. And just when uh, my therapist was like, oh, so how is that working environment? And I said, oh, God, and just sort of rolled my eyes. You realize, oh, I've built up a, sec- I've built up a layer of skin against that, a, you know, a, a defensive layer against that. Or the muscles that I have... You don't realize with therapy sessions, it's like going to the gym and lifting weights, but you don't realise you're lifting the weights (laughs) because you're doing something else at the same time. And then six months later, something happens and you realise that you've got these pumped up biceps full of ear. If you've watched uh, the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, my muscles are full of ear. And um, you realise, oh, I'm stronger than I thought. (laughs) This is getting weird. Arnie references and Marvel references. So there we go. Sorry. Um, Did anxiety affect your libido? I don't know if anxiety did, but depression definitely did in that there was there wasn't one, but then I also definitely had that when I went on the contraceptive pill when I was a teenager. It was just n- not even not even a thing, uh, which probably in the grand scheme of things. I remember a friend saying to me a few years ago that's why you that's probably been a really bad thing for you because that's why you've never wanted kids and everything. I don't know as if it's that much of a link. We'll unpick that with a hormone specialist, but yeah, no, it can absolutely just. Phew, uh, insert gif of balloon uh, air flying out of a balloon and a balloon empty balloon landing on the floor. How are you now? Do you still get down days or emotional colds, as I call them? I love that. Can we TM that? We might need to go to the trademark board and get that. Uh, emotional colds are brilliant. Yes, I do still get down days. I get da- I get days when I'm in a bad mood. Like I actually phoned up one of my colleagues who's been on this show, sure I made nameless this week. In fact, I think it was a couple of days ago. I called her and I just said, I am in a foul effing mood today. And then we we, uh, had a 10-minute chat and then I went back to my life and I forgot that I was in a bad mood. Um, But yeah, I do. But again, sometimes you have to say, yes, today is a bit of a crappy day. And other days you have to say, do you know what, Emma? Um, Snap out of it. And you, like the other day I was whinging to Lindsay Kelk about something. (laughs) <laughs> and I was on message, and I said, "Me and mia, 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 and, mia. and she just replied, "How's the new light in your gorgeous new flat And I just thought, "Thank you so much, Lindsay, for bringing me back down to earth. That's what I needed, and immediately I looked out of my new windows with all the light, and I thought, "Yes, correct, stop it um so yes, I do still definitely feel darkness, but it's much, much easier to shine a light on it. gosh." I'm sounds a bit twee doesn't it sorry how did you find the right therapist how do you know who would suit you or your needs I was very lucky the first person that I got paired with was freaking amazing she was absolutely brilliant and yeah I could I could do a full four-hour podcast on why I enjoyed working with her and how profound the experience of working with her was there were two people In my life who I'm not related to who I can't talk about without crying one is my English teacher from school and one is this therapist because the impact they had on my life was so profound I was very lucky it's not always necessarily going to be like that Um, and I'm sorry to say that I know people who've tried to do therapy and have had experiences that aren't great and then they've been uh, tempted to give up and they haven't uh, or they have uh I did an episode during this month, a pod a day in May, on how to find a therapist, and I really encourage you to look at that. There are some great resources in the show notes. And there are also some brilliant organizations now who not only um, help you find a therapist, but they really break down the different types of therapy available. Um and you can sort of you can look at the different descriptions of what a session might feel like or look like, and you can begin even before you've made that phone call to feel drawn towards the thing that might be right for you, and I think you do have to listen to that. I gave, when I had the two therapists that I gave up on, and I did give up on them, uh, I knew by session three, and I was encouraged to have a fourth session, and I had a fourth session with one of them, and with the other one I said, if I'm put back in a room with that person, I might be prompted to swear quite loudly in their face, because it just was a, it was a poor match and that's not her fault um we were just completely at odds about how we wanted to come at things and that was important to kind of know that that wasn't the right one for me but yes look at the show notes and listen to that episode it's called how to find a therapist and i think it's from like the 8th of may uh and that might that might be a um a useful resource um doo-doo-doo, um if you suffered from brain fog, memory loss, how did you overcome it? God, I really did. I really did. On that holiday I was talking about earlier, I, I was with my friend Steph, who works at Mac, and I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning this. It's completely un, unre- <laughs> it's not related to anything in particular. But I, uh, I think we were we were away for four days, and I think on like the second or third morning, we were at breakfast, and we'd gone out to this really nice restaurant, and I said something like who's RuPaul, have you ever, has Mac ever sponsored RuPaul's Drag Race, and everyone at the table went, oh my god, every single morning Emma, every single morning, and again it was one of those moments where I sort of felt slapped, because A, I hadn't remembered that I'd asked that question before, and I had been sitting there for five minutes thinking, trying to rack my brains, trying to think, had Mac ever sponsored RuPaul's Drag Race, I know Revolution did, I know Anastasia Beverly Hills did, but have Mac, and and also the fact that the question had been answered several times on that holiday and I had completely forgotten. So that and that was the thing, actually, that let me know that I was quite foggy. Um, I wouldn't say I overcame it. I just knew that it was happening, but it happens less now. And I think that just comes with um, the combined efforts in therapy and meditation and yoga and just Reading self-help books without getting drawn into self-help books, and I know that might sound a bit weird, but again, I always I come from a place of accept it, understand it, move on from it. Whereas I know people who will buy self-help book after self-help book, can read them, can can say them back to you verbatim, but they they're not putting things into practice. And I think the most important thing is to, with all of these things, put the put the thing into practice because if you do that, you move forward. Um, coping mechanisms for when anxiety hits you in the middle of the night i definitely have had insomnia and i'd wake up and just assume everyone i loved was dead which was horrible uh coping mechanisms so the only thing i would say is don't pick up your phone uh do deep breathing exercises the second that you the second that you clock it the second you wake up and you think oh shit you know that you're having a biological response, right? That there is a chemical reaction in your body that's pumping a hormone. It's pumping cortisol and adrenaline into your body unnecessarily. But you can actually counter that by breathing in and breathing out for a few seconds longer than you breathe in. It's it's like a hack. It's like rebooting your, your router or installing a new software to make your computer run more efficiently. It is biologically proven. So just do with the breathing. Sit up in bed maybe get relaxed, like maybe do a bit of stretching, but do the breathing. Uh, that's, that's the only thing I found that really, really helps. Medication pros and cons. I think I, I think I've talked about that. I think, I think it's amazing. And if I, I mean, hopefully, not hopefully, I work every day on not, um, going back to a dark, sad place. But if I did, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't hesitate to speak to my doctor about what medications were available. Um, but yeah, my, my personal situation, it was a downward spiral and I wanted to follow the breadcrumbs back up. And luckily that, that did elicit a result I'm really pleased with, but I'm not necessarily saying that was the right answer. It might not have been, but um, in the sense of it would have been much quicker if I had taken medication, but I am pleased that I did it the way that I did it. But again, I know people who've taken medication and absolutely adore it and i see i i see i've literally seen people go from being a certain type of person to being very low mood being depressed being edgy being um snappy all of that and then they go on medication and a week later your mate's back so there are lots to be lots of things to be said for them and i think maybe the best thing to do is to get a a doctor on who can speak with authority about the different types of um SSRIs, antidepressants that are out there, um, and the fact the volume of questions on medication that came in would imply that that's an episode that needs to be made. So that's now at the top of my list. Current coping tips with severe anxious moments: I don't put myself, or I try not to put myself, in situations that bother me and tip my anxiety over the edge. So, for example, um, it was about eighteen months ago now, maybe a bit more. Um, every October there is a an event for Estee Lauder where it's for the um, breast cancer campaign, and it's amazing. Elizabeth Hurley's always there. They get the doctors from BCC there, and it's it's a really everyone in the industry goes. And I walked in. I'd been at my office or I'd been at work all day, and I looked like somebody who'd been in the office all day. I wasn't particularly dressed all that smartly, and my makeup had sort of worn off, and my hair was flat and disgusting and I walked in and there's Elizabeth Hurley looking amazing and there's lots of people from the beauty industry who are dressed up and looking amazing and wearing current net-a-porter clothing and I'm sort of looking tired and disheveled and I just felt the I felt the anxiety rise and I bolted absolutely bolted I was in mid-conversation and I could feel it creeping up my back um and I just put my glass down and walked out <laughs> and I got a few texts saying um Emma, where'd you go? And I just went, I had to get out of there. And a couple of my friends who know me well said, you suddenly got quite, um, your eyes started darting around. I could see it. So when you left, it wasn't a surprise. Um, so that's it, is remove myself from them where possible. Or if you can't, so I know Fern Cotton's talked about having a panic attack or having an anxiety attack in her car. And there's very little you can do there, particularly if you're on the motorway and you're waiting for a junction to come up. And it really is going to that breathing technique, and just going. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to work out. Sometimes you just have to self soothe. Self soothe. What would you What would you do if you held a baby that was crying? You'd hold it and you go, "Shh, shh, shh it's going to be okay." Shh, shh, shh. That kind of thing. You have to do it to yourself sometimes. Um, when you're in those moments, um, how did you get the confidence to do the podcast while dealing with mental health issues? i have no idea but i am a stubborn little so and so in fact my oldest friend hannah the other day i say so the other day it was quite a while ago now about 10 months ago actually because i think it was when she told me she was having a baby and she <laughs> made a comment like i said something about oh, you know me um i'm a scrappy little thing and she said yeah it pays to be a stubborn little see you next tuesday and um made me feel quite good actually <laughs> i just once i put my mind to certain things and the podcast has been one of those things i am uncompromising it's like it's gonna happen there was a three-week break in november 2016 i think where i couldn't do anything because it's when i was like at the lowest low but other than that i'm I've made a commitment to you to publish these podcasts so i shall um and i can't unpick it with any more detail it's just uh that it's just it's like a factory setting i will do it um by hook or by crook um how you cope with low self-esteem that's that's a big one actually because that one was really confronting of realizing that i had let everybody else have the lead role in the movie of my life (laughs) And look, there's a lot to be said for being Stanley Tucci. He's a great supporting actor, but it's your life that you need to be Meryl Streep, and um, realizing that I had put other people on pedestals, let other people direct my life as well. Should we just continue with the film analogy? Um, yeah, I'd make. I I had I had uh, outsourced my self esteem to other people which just even when you say it out loud it's so funny um and ridiculous i had outsourced my self esteem to other people which is it's like a sugar high it's great in the short term but when they're not there it doesn't exist so um i think i do, i really hate the idea of being full of, of of appearing full of oneself and i would hate for someone to say oh she's so full of herself because i know deep down it's the complete opposite Um, but being full of yourself is not the opposite of low self-esteem, but which is what I think I always thought. So I always thought, lower yourself, minimize yourself, and that will, that will be, then you'll be nice. (laughs) But no. Um, so the way that I, I just try and focus on the things that I can do and understand that everyone's different. And I have a very bad habit of measuring myself against people who are like, in, like not infinitely better but like I remember I was working out with a personal trainer once and he used to do these hill sprints with me and he also used to train a professional footballer and so the hill sprint was you'd be at the bottom of the hill you'd have to sprint and he would ride up the hill next to you on a bike to make you go really fast and it was freaking tough you do six of them and I would get to the top and it was only something like 20 seconds or 25 seconds work but it was hard and it was steep And I remember like the second time we did it, I said, how quickly does that footballer that you work with do it in? And he just looked at me and was like, you're a five foot four woman. Why are you even asking that question? Why does it matter? You're never going to run this as fast as him. And that's fine. But part of me was like, I'll show you. Of course I can. I'll do it. Anyway. um, So that's the thing. Uh, Just go, yeah, I'm fine. I know that might sound very woolly, but yeah. Yeah. I don't, think there's, I don't think there's a definitive answer to that. Did you ever tell an employer, no, I was self-employed when uh, all of this kicked off, but I definitely was anxious and depressed when I worked in companies. I just didn't know it. I didn't know how to articulate it to... I wouldn't have been able to articulate it to an employer. Um, but if the question is, should you tell your employer? I think if you have an HR department, maybe talk about the resources available to you at your work or your business. And how that might be able to help um, and see how you get on with that. But I don't, I don't know. That's another good question. When we do the episodes on um office politics and corporate culture, we should talk about mental health in the workplace and get the HR expert to actually weigh in on that, because I think that's a really interesting topic. So I'll make a very large scrawling note of that across my notepad. Thank you. Um do you cry in therapy? If so, how do you deal with it? I feel overly dramatic and like I bore my therapist. Yes, I sobbed in therapy, at times—not always—but very much I'd say in the early days. And it was when it was when for me it's when you um, you talk about your life and you talk about it in the context of so this is my life and it's normal, and then you realise actually no, and <laughs> you think oh shit. Um, so yeah, I cried a lot. I just kept crying until I was until I could stop and speak, and I never felt overly dramatic. Because it's transactional god that sounds so terrible does it doesn't it but um if i'm going to go in there and cry for 45 minutes i'll cry for 45 minutes um and if you if you feel that your therapist is bored you have to ask yourself are you worried that you're boring your therapist or is your therapist making you feel that she's bored there's a there's a difference if your therapist looks agitated or annoyed that you are crying that's a bigger issue but um if you're worried about boring the therapist, think about what they might hear in those sessions. Tears is probably the least of their least of their worries. Um, so yeah, lean into it. If you need to cry, you need to cry. It's a great release. How did you find the strength to seek counselling when your depression was really bad? Um, just, just knew I had to do something. And uh, my GP suggested it. And then I went off and sort of did it under my own steam. But the receptionist, actually, this is worth saying, the receptionist when I phoned up said okay can we take bank details and I was like what now and they were a little bit heavy-handed on the phone so if you do make that call and you because actually what you want is for someone to say oh my gosh of course come on in but actually they have to do the business side they have to do the admin first they have to register you they have to take your details and you can feel that that I remember feeling that felt really impersonal and I thought oh I don't like this just accept that that's going to happen and the nice stuff the stuff that you need is is on the other side of that conversation where you have to give your address telephone number and all of that kind of nonsense because I remember the woman was just a little bit funny with me on the phone and I just thought oh you dick um but it was just an admin thing and in the end I just went down there and uh did it all face to face because I preferred that um how do you think you've gained grown having had depression now you're on the other side that's an excellent question um well I'm I'm hoping or I'm wondering if you're asking this because you maybe feel that you have grown from having had depression um I think it makes you more self-aware and I think it 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 allows you to eliminate the things from your life that will make you sad or down and that's a brilliant thing to be able to do to go no do you know what that just really doesn't work for me and as long as you're not closing yourself off from experiences out of fear that might make you happy, then I think that's a great thing to know just to be able to eliminate. Actually, that's just not going to work for me. So I'm going to stay as far away from it as possible. Um, Did you live alone while dealing with mental health? Yes. If so, do you have any tips? Mm, no, that was, just, that was just the reality. So, um, And actually for me, taking a step back from my social life, and, but actively, actively saying, I'm going to stay in tonight and but what I'm going to do is this. So I'm going to uh, read this book for an hour, then I'm going to watch that TV program, then I'm going to do a bit of yoga, actually not wasting the time, actually using it productively so that when you go to bed, you can go, oh, I had a really nice evening. It was all for me and it was really it was really comforting and I felt really good about it because for me, a lot of it was about being comfortable in my own company because i had only ever really been comfortable around people before. Uh, But again, that's probably a whole other episode. Did you manage, how did you manage to eat regularly and healthily? Um, I am never knowingly underfed. And unfortunately, I'm I'm guessing that you're asking that question because maybe your anxiety or depression is making you skip meals or not eat. I come from the other school of mental health problems, which is uh, the second that I'm out of whack, I just want to eat carbohydrates. So I can't speak on that too well. But I do know that... A lot of my friends, uh, the first thing that goes when they feel out of whack is their appetite. And I just think be methodical about it, start doing things like. Remember my friend when she got um dumped by an ex, used to find comfort in going to the grease green grocers and buying an apple, an orange, some strawberries, and methodically chopping them up and making a fruit salad. Um, because she said, if I don't do that, then I will just forget to eat. And I thought that was really interesting. Um There's a really interesting question about anxiety, low mood and perimenopause, which I'm going to put a stop on, a pause on, a menopause on, and say I will talk to a hormone specialist about that, and that episode is coming very soon. Uh, We're recording in the next few days, hopefully. How do you get through so many work-related social events while suffering anxiety? I leave the second I feel the heat. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) That's... uh, that's that whatsapp group that's been talked about on the podcast before i thought i'd turned the alerts off on my computer i do apologize but don't worry we are coming to the end um uh, i second i feel that heat of anxiety coming up through my legs up my stomach and into my chest i bail like a mofo you will not see me for dust it's an irish exit i believe or a french exit or something. Um, There was a very detailed question about medication and SSRIs. And so again, I'm going to put a stop on that and uh, take that to a bigger episode with a doctor who can actually speak with authority on the different types of antidepressants, but also how they work, how to wean yourself off them. It was a very detailed question. It was brilliantly phrased as well. But I think um, it would be irresponsible of me to talk about it because I have very limited knowledge. So we'll get someone on, trust and believe. Um, how to talk to people who are dealing with mental illness anxiety when you haven't experienced it yourself what are the right things wrong things to say effective strategies you can use that will help um excuse me again that's a brilliant question and is obviously because you are uh, close to somebody who is having these issues and you want to do well by them so again i refer you to the answer i gave earlier about coming from a place of kindness and gentleness without Uh, slipping into the dangerous territory of enabling and allowing them to wallow in that uh, place with you you then become an enabler Um, the wrong thing to say I can I can tell you the wrong thing that people said to me stop whinging and then another time I was really frustrated with somebody and I tried to tell them tried to explain why I was frustrated. And they said, oh my God, would you just stop seeing everything as black? You're just depressed, go and get some help. That's not, that's that wasn't a great feeling to be on the receiving end of that outburst. So um, don't say to someone, I think you need help. Um, I, you have to be like a journalist, never ask a closed question. Have you ever thought about maybe seeing someone? Because you know it's really helpful and i always in the back of my mind i always found comfort in the fact jennifer aniston has talked about having therapy because i thought well if rachel green has therapy then i'm not it's no big whoop that i need to have it um, yeah i think everyone is so so different but just again come from even if you're saying to them i can't have this conversation with you again i can't i can't have this conversation with you again i love you but we can't keep going around in circles so i think that the conversation is better had with someone who's able to move it forward who's able to add something constructive and i don't feel that i'm able to do that so maybe the person who can be constructive and who you'll get more value out of is a counselor or a therapist but again <coughs> excuse me it's um everyone is completely different and it depends what's really going on with the person and sometimes it's hard to know what that is um again I think maybe that would be a great one to get a panel discussion on maybe a couple a few people to talk about the things that were said to them that were really helpful by friends or the things that weren't helpful I think maybe that's a conversation worth opening up with a few people on the show so again I'll scroll that on my pad and finally this person uh it's not really an answer but um had a really beautifully worded question about ptsd and i think ptsd is a term that gets thrown around a lot like i i mean i i know i say i've still got ptsd from that old job i had and blah 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 and actually ptsd is a is a huge huge subject and is really uh not something to be treated lightly so i think the thing to do there is to get on as i said i've said previously about a couple of these things is to get on an expert who can talk about ptsd what it is how it manifests um the impact it can have on somebody so that um there's a better understanding so yes i will be seeking out quite a few experts after this episode and um i just want to say thank you for all the questions i'm going to wrap it up there because otherwise this could be um yeah i could go on for hours because there were a lot of questions but i think i've covered uh, the questions that were asked the most but thank you for everybody to everybody who submitted a question, I hope you feel that the answers were helpful. And if you want me to elaborate on anything, you can always email me just say, when you spoke about this, can I get your opinion on that? Take it to email if you didn't feel like you got the complete answer in this episode. I'm at, um, I'm not at the beauty podcast, I'm at Gmail. Dot com <laughs> and on social media i'm at emma guns and you can slide into my dms and you can also join the facebook group a lot of the questions that were featured on this episode were submitted via that closed facebook group the link to join is in the show notes you just have to answer two questions to get in it's just to check that you're not there to do something like sell to the members or um uh yeah use the information that they share in there for your own means Nobody takes advantage of my most excellent listeners on my watch. Trust me, I'll come down on them like a ton of bricks. So I just ask a, um, a few questions just to make sure that everyone in there is doing it for legitimate purposes and to be an active member of the Facebook group. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I hope that this is useful and I shall stop wanging on now and bid you a beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one.